We continue our sermon series today in box zero about distractions and confronting distractions. Who is calling me right now while I'm trying to preach? My desire today is that we focus on what is that person doing out there in the hallway? It's time to sit down. We focus on identifying the most common. My iPad needs updated right now. Distractions of life and a notification from my fitness app on my phone. I need to, I'm sorry. To see what God has called us to and how he desires us to live. Now, obviously, I just gave a few silly examples of things that can distract us, but can I get an amen? You ever been distracted by those things before? Yeah. Sometimes the distractions in our life are necessary. Our children need our attention. A coworker needs assistance. Something that burdens our heart so much we know it's the Holy Spirit and we've got to stop everything else and pray. But other times, it's just noise, right? It's a social media something. It's a notification on our phone for something that's really not that important and can wait. And there's stuff like that that fills up this modern world that distracts us. And so when we consider this idea of inbox zero, it's not so much the technology or our email that we're talking about. You can Google that or go to YouTube and learn about that, right? But it's what's behind it for us and how we think about our priorities in life that are based on our values and principles and our mission, And so today, as we talk about confronting distractions, it's built on our lesson from last week, which was about adjusting our priorities. And the number one way you do that, of course, is through God's Word, engaging the Bible day in, day out, through reading it or through hearing it, as you meditate on it, memorize it, pray about it, put it to practice in your life that changes your life. Next week, we're going to talk about managing money, and in two weeks, we're going to talk about taming time. Good luck with that one, right, Pastor Aaron? So the whole idea is about how the Bible informs our life and how the Bible changes our hearts and therefore changes our minds and therefore changes the way we live our lives in the midst of this modern world with so many voices trying to gather our attention. Our scripture memory verse for the month highlights this for us. And if there's only one thing you might memorize or remember about this sermon series, if you could memorize this verse and put it into practice in your life, it could change everything for you, really, the put it into practice part. But let's say it together. Matthew 6, 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Matthew 6, 33. Pray with me. God, our Father, that's so easy to say, but it's not always to do. We have so many things that compete for our time. In our work life, in our home life, our personal life, and every other aspect of this thing we call life. And Father, we pray that today, one more time, as we open your word that you'd speak to us through your word, and that even though I have four points and a whole lot of things I'm going to say, 
It might just be one point or one phrase or one sentence I say that I need or that anybody else hearing me needs. And we pray, Father, that we'd hear it clearly by your Holy Spirit and we'd seek to confess, repent, obey, change, whatever you call us to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, hopefully you've got your sermon outlines there with you, and you can get that again through our website, the bulletin page, or through the Version app on your phone or your iPad, even though it can be a distraction. But that Version app on the events page there. And your first point on your outline is not really a point, but a summary statement that our distractions are deeper than our responsibilities and the voices seeking our attention because our distractions arise from our heart. It's not just these things that happen around us on the outside that are drawing our attention and try to keep us from being who God has created us to be, called us to be, but it is what's going on in our heart that governs our behavior the principles that guide us, the values that determine our steps, the mission that governs our use of time, these things arise from deep within our hearts and then we make a decision of our mind and an act of our will on how we're going to live. So since we're talking about distractions today, I've got four other D's for us, so maybe you'll remember that, distractions and four other D's. And those D's, as you see them on your outline, are desires that we're going to find out are at war within us. Disorder of my mind, in my flesh and in my sinfulness, delivered by Jesus. And the fourth point is that we can actually get to where we're discerning of God's will. That no matter the distractions we start with, there is hope for us, friends. And there's a happy ending to the sermon I'm ready to preach for us today. So the first point on your outline are the desires that are at war within my heart. And if you haven't already, open your Bibles to James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. And we're going to do things a little differently today. It's a topical sermon, and I'm going to spend more time reading the Scripture, less time explaining it as we seek to apply it to our lives. James 4, verse 1 in my NIV says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Hey, I'd like to know that. Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? Um, Okay, James, you're getting a little personal there. But is he right? He is. You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have. We'll get there in a minute. James is writing to us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and saying that by nature we are selfish, by nature we're sinful, by nature we want what we want, and we don't really care what others think, and then we get frustrated or we get angry because we don't get what we want. Fill in the blank, whatever it is you want. It may not be a thing, it might be an action, it might be someone else's motive. But what does he say? You do not have because you do not ask God. James hits the very root of who we are, that we're going to do it for ourselves. Even though we're believers in Jesus saying, we know better, that's all right, God, I got this one, I'll do it myself. And we try to do it for ourselves and we don't even think to ask God until we're really in a jam, but 
maybe look at what happens next. Verse 3. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. James is saying, okay, the first problem is we try to do it on our own and we don't ask God. The second problem is that when we do ask, we ask for selfish things. We ask for what we want, not what God would want or what would honor or glorify Him. And so we're going to end up frustrated, angry, and disappointed with God as if it's His fault that we're not following his desires and his rules. Look at verse 4, James 4 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? James isn't holding back any punches here, right? He's being honest. Look at verse 5. Or, excuse me, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. We've got to consider that as believers in Jesus. Where is our loyalty? Verse 5 now, or do you think that Scripture says without reason that the Spirit He calls to live in us envies intensely? Did you hear that? God gives us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is within us. If you're a believer in Jesus and you have been saved, James is painting a clear picture that even though you are a believer in Jesus, you can be living a sinful, backslidden life, doing things your own way, and that's part of the reason you're frustrated and part of the reason your prayers aren't answered. And James is saying here, God's Holy Spirit within you envies intensely. In other words, he wants you to serve him. He wants you to obey him. He wants you to follow him, not your own desires. But thanks be to God, look at verse 6. But he gives us more grace. Can I get an amen? He gives us more grace. That is why the Scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. When we turn from sin and self and our own desires that distort our minds and drag down our hearts and we respond in humility to God, then He gives us grace. Verse 7 goes on to explain it. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Did you hear that? If you submit to God and resist the devil, what does it say? The devil will flee from you. You don't even have to fight him. All you have to do is resist him. You simply have to say, okay, devil, in the name of Jesus, I am resisting you. You're tempting me to be selfish. You're tempting me to be sinful. You're tempting me to do something that will please only me instead of serve God and follow his priorities and plans for my life. And I'm resisting you, devil. And what does scripture say? The devil will flee from you. Go on. Verse 8, come near to God. And he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. This is what you do with your sin. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. There are desires at work within my heart. And desires that seek to keep me from God. And how do I deal with them? By humbling myself before God. You've got two questions there to apply this. And the first one is, what causes conflict within me and others? Those desires, right, that are naturally selfish and sinful. Your second question asks, what can I do to combat such desires? That second question, what can I do to combat such desires? Well, be humble. Seek 
God to work within you. Surrender your stubbornness. Surrender your selfishness. Surrender your sinfulness. Confess and repent. We move on to our second major point on your outline. Your second major point in your outline, we talked about the desires at war that control your mind. The second point is a second scripture passage. That's disorder in my mind. So you're in James, turn uh, to the left in your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, verses 18 through 25. Paul paints a um, challenging to hear picture for us of what our sinfulness is like. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. All of us were born sinful, and even though as a child you may not have done anything terrible, you still had a sin nature. And you know if you lived into adulthood, well, if you're listening to me, you did, excuse me, you know as an adult that that sinful nature is still at war within you. Look at what Paul says going on there. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Paul's saying, I keep sinning and I can't help it. Aren't you glad to know that the Apostle Paul is just like you and me? That he wasn't perfect, that he had an ongoing struggle with the sinful nature in his life. Verse 20, now if I do what I do not want to do, but it is sin living in me that does it. Paul gives us an explanation for why these things happen. Verse 21, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Thank you, Paul, I'm there with you. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. Paul is painting a picture of an ongoing struggle of a follower of Jesus who still has a sin nature that's not been completely taken away or sanctified, that causes him to struggle. Go on there. Verse 24, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Your first question there asks, What is my natural spiritual state? You can use your own words. You can use the words of Paul. It's pretty scary to consider what my natural spiritual state is sinfulness, selfishness. And because of that, I have a disordered mind. But your second question is, who can rescue me from this mess? Who can rescue me from this mess? If that's my natural spiritual state, who can rescue me from that? Verse 25, thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ, So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Who rescues me? Jesus. Jesus rescues me. When I think about my divided heart, my divided mind that's disordered, who can help change that for me? Jesus. Only Jesus 
can purify me. Only Jesus can set me free. Only Jesus can carry me through. Only Jesus can order my mind. Only Jesus can change my heart. We had the desires at war. We have disorder in our mind. Now let's get to our third D. Your third D on your outline is delivered by Jesus. Paul just told us that in verse 25. And we go on reading in that passage of Scripture now in chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 4 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As a believer in Jesus, you are put into the body of Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin. Even though you still struggle with a sinful nature, you have Christ's nature in you and you are in the body of Christ as a believer and you're set free from that law of sin. Verse 3, for what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of a sinful man to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in sinful man. What the law was powerless to do. When I look around our world today, and all the upheaval and all the protest and people calling for change, and people calling for new laws. I would agree with them. There are points and times and places in our cities, states, nation, where there needs to be new laws. But when it comes to something like racism, which is a sin, and a response of a sinful heart, you can't change that with a law, can you? You cannot legislate a change of heart. What we need is revival. What we need is Jesus. Only Jesus is going to ultimately change the evil wickedness of our hearts, whether it's racism or any number of other sins. Your question there asks, who sets me free? Who sets me free? And how should I live once I'm freed? I didn't get to verse 4. It says, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. That because of Christ in me, I have the hope of glory. And because of the Holy Spirit in me, I can live a different life. A life changed, delivered by my Savior, Jesus. There's desires at war within me. They cause disorder in my mind, but I can be set free by Jesus. The fourth and final point on your outline today is discerning God's will. We already heard about humility once from James, but if you would turn back to James chapter 3 at this point in time. James gives us again this picture of humility and how humility makes the difference for the follower of Jesus. Not only have we humbled ourselves and said, Jesus, I can't do this on my own, and Jesus, I'm sinful, I need to confess these things to you, I need to repent and turn from these things, but we say that I'm humble before you to continue to live your life in me. James chapter 3, verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? 
All right, rhetorical question. Are you wise? Are you understanding? Let's see. Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Remember I've talked about before the sweet spot between wisdom and humility. If you picture a Venn diagram with wisdom over here and humility over here, if you're humble enough to know you're not wise, you can seek to be more wise. If you're wise enough to know you're not humble, you can seek to be more humble. The sweet spot where that Venn diagram overlaps, that's teachability, that's openness. James ties those two things together right here. And he says, let him show it by his good life done in humility that comes from wisdom. Verse 14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. He's saying it again. Where you're dominated by your selfish and sinful desires, that's where all these sinful things are going to come out. Verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peaceful, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Eight different characteristics of God's wisdom that sets it apart from the world's so-called wisdom. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Your questions there ask, what are the hallmarks of godly wisdom? James told it. I held up my fingers and counted them off. What did it say? Pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial and sincere. And what's the outcome of living this way? That was verse 18. A harvest of righteousness. God desires you and I in the midst of a world that's crazy and in the midst of a place that fills up our inboxes daily and notifications more than we can count or care to count. We're like, delete, 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 delete. With a heart that is governed by the Holy Spirit and a mind that is ordered by the Holy Spirit to live a life that pleases Jesus. Let's pray. Father, that is my prayer that each of us would develop that habit of engaging Scripture every day through hearing it or reading it, that it might change our minds and our hearts and our very lives. So God, our Father, whatever it is we need to confess or surrender today, we bring that to you. We are your children, and we need Jesus Thank you, Father, that we can come together online and in this place. But most of all, Father, would we submit ourselves humbly to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.